Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, a fun episode coming your way. Zach Sealer extension, updates from Coach McDaniel on the injuries and some other stuff from Sunday's press conference. We'll also take a look at the All-22 and put a review on the, or a bow, I should say, with the review on the exhibition season, plus some words for one of the best people I ever met in my entire life. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. Before we get to the podcast, let's go ahead and list off the 14 cuts that were announced on Monday ahead of Tuesday's deadline to get the roster down to 53 players. Of course, you'll see all kinds of moving and shaking across the league over the next week or so as teams finalize their 53-man rosters for opening day. And remember, all the veterans or players in general, I should say, that are on that opening day roster, that salary becomes guaranteed for the year. So there's all kinds of different ways of getting different players cut and brought back in practice squad. It's just kind of a cavalcade of of chaos over the next 10 or so days. So the Dolphins' initial wave of cuts here, they have released tackle Jerron Christian, wide receiver Kiki Kuti, and linebacker A.J. Johnson. Of course, Kuti and Johnson recent acquisitions here, but the release means they don't have to pass through waivers. They can sign with any team immediately. Players that do have to pass through waivers, linebacker Mitchell Agude, quarterback James Blackman, defensive lineman Josiah Bronson and Randy Charlton, wide receiver Chris Coleman, linebackers Aubrey Miller and Garrett Nelson, safety Kedron Smith, tackle James Tunstall and then back to D tackles Jalen Twyman and Jamal Woods who was just signed earlier this week as well so 14 moves ahead of the deadline we'll have more coming for you guys tomorrow let's read off some injury updates here from coach McDaniel who said on Sunday Savon Ahmed is not in the concussion protocol he will be day-to-day Elijah Campbell they were fearing it could be a potential ACL but they found out it is not and that is fortunate however they're assessing the extent of it and they feel there's a chance it could go into the season for him. He did avoid one thing, but there was a substantial injury that coach said will take him into the season. So thinking about Elijah there, he was having a great camp and a great preseason and looking forward to getting a look at him on the defensive side of the football in addition to what he offered on special teams. Mike White cleared concussion protocol on Friday. Coach said the quarterback two announcement will come next Monday, so keep it locked for that. Liam Eikenberg, he practiced all week and dressed in case of emergency, but was held out of the game because he was not 100%, and coach did not think it was fair to make him compete for that job with others in the condition that he was in. And then Jeff Wilson, similar story. He mentioned both he and Liam Eikenberg were doing some pain management throughout the course of the week, and if it was up to both guys, they would have both gone, but he is happy with how both guys are progressing in their rehab from those injuries. Also, Contract extension, Zach Sealer. Let's go ahead and hear from Coach on the value of Zach Sealer. Man, I was um, fired up, and so were a lot of his teammates, uh, just because um, you know Zach has Zach epitomizes um, such an important um, such an important thing within the the journey of the NFL player. You know, you're talking about a guy that. Uh, has has earned every every cent that he's paid. He's been cut twice, and you know I think the timing, um, uh, as far as it relates to the team, couldn't be better for 
so many guys in the in the next 48 hours that um you know uh aren't able to to make the final 53 i think that is something that's real um and can feel in the moment like uh your dreams over and i think uh he he's an example exemplary exam he's a great example okay we'll just do great example of uh worrying about what you can control and you know he's uh we're we're happy to get that get that done um as as well as the locker room's happy for him too and from the word go zach has been a hit down here hasn't he somebody asked me on twitter is he the best waiver wire claim in team history and i'm not sure i don't have the uh I guess the, well, I, I, this is probably the thing I know the most about is this franchise, but I don't know waiver wire specific additions like Cam Wake. I know he wasn't a waiver wire guy, but being an undrafted, just random free agent signing uh, from the CFL after it didn't work out in the NFL with several teams, that's like the go-to, the gold standard. But Zach Sealer, as far as waiver wire claims, unless somebody else knows one from before my time that I'm not aware of, he's got to be it. Remember the Bengals game back in 2019? It was like his third game with the team where he had six pressures and five run stops and two batted passes on like 25 snaps. And he was one of the first players I ever interviewed after that game. And he was nice as all get out and very respectful of, of my time and, and Kevin Dern, who was with me there at the time. And you could just see it from that opening couple of games. I think where his best traits are exemplified are on short yardage plays when they jam their heavy 23 personnel, two backs, three tight ends, no wide receivers, extra offensive linemen. We bring all the linebackers and safeties onto the field and everyone just sells out in the running game. You get hat on hat and Zach wins those so damn frequently. He and Alandon Roberts the last couple of years were fourth and third and one merchants, man, just cutting that stuff down. Just brute strength to take the guy where he wants to. And then over his time here, I thought he's really developed that counter move to the bull rush that he really puts guys on their heels with where they have to be prepared to absorb that. And when they either absorb it or they go and try to attack him aggressively, then he can just use those long arms, those heavy mitts and and good grip strength to grab on and then utilize a swim move that I think he's really developed over four years here, which when you have that, you know, fastball and then the, the, I guess the circle change to work off of that, to go from Felix Hernandez's cabinet of pitches, you're tough to hit, man. You're tough to, to block for these guys. And he can hold blocks as the one shade, which is kind of what Raekwon Davis plays most frequently, a two technique over the guard, a three tech on the outside of the guard. He can kick out to the five tech on the outside shoulder of the tackle and penetrate inside with slants and twists and stunts and be the pick man. He has some pass rush to his capability that shows up when you need it. Just one of the more underrated players of the last few years across the National Football League, and no more as he gets his payday and his recognition. And I just think that his trajectory is phenomenal. He played 532 snaps back in 2020, his first full year here in Miami. I always thought he should have played more than he did uh, those first couple of years. Josh Boyer was the first one to give him like full, you know, Christian Wilkins level snap counts. It decreased in 2021 for whatever reason to, to 518 snaps. Uh, but he increased his pressures and run stops marginally there, even with fewer snaps that just showed you he was getting better and better. And then in 2022, gets the big jump in playtime, 874 snaps. All he does is sets career best across the board with 31 quarterback pressures, 41 run stops was sixth most among interior defensive linemen. He also finished top 10 each of the last two years with batted passes, four and three respectively. And as for his counting stats last year, three and a half sacks, seven tackles for loss, 12 QB hits. He forced two fumbles over his career 
He has 10 sacks, 25 tackles for loss, 28 quarterback hits, three forced fumbles, and nine passes defense. But you just watch his tape, and you know he's a productive player based on the tape. Watch him every single week. Every Dolphins fan will tell you. Every national pundit will say, Zach Sealer's a guy that makes stuff happen. And his durability and versatility are hallmarks of what makes this defense what it is, isn't it? First, you know, he and Christian do such a good job of keeping our linebackers clean to hunt for plays down around the line of scrimmage. And I think that David Long was a perfect addition to going behind those guys alongside Jerome Baker. But Zach allows you to get to multiple fronts because anytime you need to adjust your alignments, and it can be after you've even, you know, ran your personnel out there, you know that Zach is capable of taking on several of those roles at any given time and not just go out there and be a body, but dominate in that capacity. He's a great player. I'm glad we got to keep him around here for a few more years. Three-year extension for Zach Sealer. He's not going anywhere. All right, let's go ahead and take our break after a short segment there and come back. We have a lot to get to here, as you can see, on the time elapsed on the bottom of your podcast app. We're going to cover the All-22 here next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Our last All-22 review of the exhibition. The next time we do one of these podcasts, it will be the Los Angeles Chargers. And hopefully, I think, will be a big Dolphins win on opening day. Let's go ahead and start with the big plays. I only have three this week. The opening play of the game, two to Tyreek for 31 yards. It happened on the first play of the game, 14.55 to play in that first quarter. And my takeaway from this was that Tua has the best feet mechanics in the game, and I don't think it's all that close. All those reps on Iwa Beach with Pops sure paid off as a child, man. He's drilled it so much that muscle memory is just ingrained for the guy. And we actually saw Skylar Thompson execute something later in the game, and I thought he did a good job of it. But I think that it showed you the discrepancy between Tua and most quarterbacks in the footwork because it took Skylar two extra steps based upon what Tua did. And I'll explain it to you right now. It looks easy. I know it does. It seems innocuous. And I'll get called out by casual fans saying that, you know, whatever the take is about, <laughs> you know, the sunshine and rainbow stuff. But I'm trying to explain football uh, in a nuanced way, I think, that I don't think a lot of outlets give you. So uh, he comes out from under center and fakes the toss towards the unbalanced 12 personnel side. So 12 personnel is two tight ends. You have two Ys attached to the line of scrimmage. When they're on the same side, that means it's unbalanced. So you have the weak sides where we're passing the football, showing the run to the strength to get that flow and the action going that way. Which, by the way, Mike McDaniel creating false steps for linebackers. It's peanut butter and jelly, man. It's a, a, a match made in heaven. The right foot drop, the first step he takes is also the plant leg. So in addition to you know putting himself in position to make this throw, all this action happens in one fluid motion. It's very rare that you see that. Do you understand what that means? It means that we're going to spin a full 360 on that pivot point. I'm telling you, pause the podcast right now and go out in your backyard with your kid or your buddy and face him straight up and do a 360 as fast as you can and then see how accurate you are throwing the ball when you get back squared up to him 10 yards down the field. Add a 250-pound human unblocked running full speed at you. Best of all, I'm pretty sure this is a site adjustment for him because the slot corner to that side comes down on the line of scrimmage when they motion Alec away from the play. 
So it's actually not 12 personnel, by the way. It's, it's 21 because Alec is part of the double Ys, which we explained already. Uh, quick education. The fastest way to tell a DB is blitzing is if he's capped. Another defender is right behind him. Typically, that guy will blitz, and that capped defender will fill the coverage assignment. So he converts to this blitz, and that safety is now covering Tyreek 12 yards off the line of scrimmage. Throw it to him now, right? Makes sense. So Tua fakes the toss, the little pivot toss to Tyreek, and now he's loose. These plays are so damn good to have in the back pocket. The ball is out in like half a second. No threat of pressure because you know Tua can manage that unblocked man when he knows he has the hot at his disposal. And the reason the pivot is so deadly, just again, look at the flow of those linebackers. You get two or three false steps and total displacement out of all of them. And that's what puts Tyreek in open space. Chosen gets a good block outside and Tyreek damn near takes it for six, but will settle for 31 yards with 25 after the catch. These small details are things that you're never going to see, you know, Big pundits talk about in Tua's game, but they show up frequently and they really, really matter. A 41-yard run for Savon Ackman with 2.37 to play in the first quarter. We're going to get in some takes I have on the offensive line and run game in a moment, but man, this play is just a snapshot of textbook football across the board. Essentially, you have six key moments on this play. And what's nice, you have Durham and Sed in what essentially functions as double Ys to the strong side, or really triple, since you've already got true double-wise with both Croft and Smythe attached to that unbalanced 12 personnel. Your right tackle, tight end, tight end. That's, those are wise when they're attached like that. First, Croft absorbs the edges attempt to dent and no luck. So good rep there from Croft. You get Austin Jackson with a really tough assignment to reach an offset Mike linebacker. He's aligned outside of Austin's shoulder, so Austin has more ground to go than the linebacker does to get to the spot. It's a tough ask. He's five yards off the ball too, which the more space for an offensive lineman, the tougher. But Austin gets out there and gets enough of a piece of him to slow him up. And then it's Savon Ahmed to beat that defender. He was the guy that we're kind of keying on with the speed. And he does because Savon has plenty of it. The other keys are Rob Hunt walling off a three technique who has him outflanked. Aces rep. He he really show, or shoots that punch across the bow and then gets his hips and his butt flipped around to wall him off. Connor Williams has to climb and execute the same thing we mentioned with Austin, and he goes out there and completely erases the man. But then the reason this goes for 41 yards and not just some five or six yard carry is Durham Smythe and Cedric Wilson. Smythe has the toughest ask, in my opinion. He has to creep slowly down on the nickel and kind of let him, you know, slowly play into it to not oversell the run action. And because of this, it allows that nickel to overrun the play and give Ahmed the alley he has. And then he takes him out completely, which executes perfectly. Just a great understanding of timing of the play and when to go really attack your block and be patient with it. And then Cedric works off that same patience, working right behind Durham, who then seals the safety outside. What a freaking play. And then how about Savon just going, you know, Drake on Gronk on that middle of the field safety. He is 20 yards off the ball and Savon blows past him for an extra 22 yards. Uh, speaking of Savon Ahmed, 42 of his 43 rushing yards were after contact in this game. It's going to make for a nice average, 10.5 yards after contact on average for Savon Ahmed. The last big play I have to break down is the Javon Holland forced fumble and recovery with uh, 6.20 to play in the first quarter. Just a great all-around play here. And first, it starts with Cater Kohu. Playing the run and screen game down around the line of scrimmage is maybe my favorite thing to watch on this entire football team with number four. He is such a dog. So they pull their right tackle out in space, and if Cater doesn't do what he does, that tackle has a climb on Jerome Baker 
and he's got 75, you know, 80 pounds on Baker. It's never going to happen if he gets to Jerome Baker. But Cater goes downhill as the force defender, which is your last line of defense to set the edge and funnel things back inside. And he not only beats the tackle to the upfield shoulder, and that color flash for the running back is his indicator to bang. So so bang means you're going to stick it right in the gap that you're aiming for, bounces to go wide, and bend is to go back the other direction. He has to bang because of the way that Cater plays this. And not just that, but Cater goes in and takes the tackle out of the hip so that he can't climb, and it allows Jerome Baker to flow freely over there and arrive with a huge stick. And then Javon taking on a block, and he's not just going to accept this block into his chest. He goes and initiates the contact, which allows him to control the, the blocker and that allows him to disengage with his long arms right in front of the play just as the ball carrier is coming in and as he's bracing for contact with the ground Holland throws the paw on the football finds the ball falls on it great play and honestly I think both guys forced it Javon got the credit but I think that Bakes hand was on the football as well just a great great all-around play let's go ahead and get to Travis's top tapes top tapes Tua Tungavailoa just loved the footwork and the timing and the rhythm he played with. The Jags played the same soft coverage that we did, and just like you'd expect the pros to do, you know, Tua and Lawrence were on point with the short intermediate passing game. The throw to Chosen was before he came out of the break. Ball was right where he needed to be. That's pitch and catch. Those are layups, but Tua is so adept at hitting those layups. A clean rub on the mesh on that third and goal play would have been a touchdown for Chosen. Uh, the pick was that Smythe's drag creates gave them what they wanted, but I thought Chosen got caught on it, and I probably should have ran that crosser. Like, he ran at the pick man. Like, run under him. Just go. Use your speed because two is going to find you, and that allowed the defender playing off of Chosen to work around the pick just in time to recover, and he made the play, and Tua put the ball right on the mark, but it wasn't going to go anywhere anyway because it was too slow developing from that side. The rail by Raheem is the first read on that play. Mesh goes rail back to the mesh over the middle, and then you work to the backside of the formation. It's a a right-to-left read on this particular play. And that rail paired with the rub by Smythe creates this pocket you want on the mesh, but you have to get through your route clean. It did not happen. Tua was one for one under pressure, two for two when blitzed, which means he didn't miss a pass under pressure or when being blitzed this preseason, which is, that's perfect. Tiny sample size, but still pretty nice. My second favorite top tape, River Craycraft, just so dependable. The first catch was motion to the rail, and he really pressed the DB to convince that DB of the takeoff. And look, this is not going to be a slight at River Craycraft, but when you don't have 4-4 speed, you have to be precise with that detail, and that's why River gets open, because he is so precise. Austin Jackson, I thought, had a really good game. I've been saying this about Austin showing progress as we go along, and I think that's to be you know expected for a guy who missed you know a, a good chunk of time last year with the injury, kind of getting his first real action in this offense, but just eight snaps, no, uh, no, eight pass blocking snaps, I should say, no pressure allowed, and he kind of gave Josh Allen the business. Allen never got near Tua, and I thought Austin's weight transfer and awareness was really, really good, two things that have kind of plagued him in pass protection. You get that out of him consistently with the run blocking he gives you, well, that would make a lot of folks eat some words, including me, on that topic. So keep killing him, Austin. Do your thing, man. Cedric Wilson, I've been so impressed by him this entire month. The throw that Craycraft had to pull down uh, from Skylar Thompson to begin the half, you see Cedric run what we call a for love of, love of the game route, where Craycraft gets access to his dig inside purely because Cedric runs this post route 
where he removes the middle of the field safety who otherwise, if he has no responsibility, he can come down and buzz that dig route. But because said takes that route seriously and runs at full capacity to hold that safety, it creates that space. I thought he ran another great route on the fourth down conversion to Miles Gaskin, where he crossed face to clear out the flat for Miles to have a room service pitch and catch first down conversion. Doesn't impact the box score on those plays, but man, that's the good stuff. And it tracks with the selfless mindset we heard about from Cedric all last year. And then finally, he did get his on the backside. Two big plays. I like the way he times his routes where he throttles down on the soft spots and then sprints to go get them when he's not in them. It maximizes the time that he has in those windows. And I thought it was very beneficial for Skyler in this game. Chris Brooks, man, talk about putting your best foot forward. He had no business scoring on that first touchdown, even though Keon Smith and Julian Hill wiped out the edge. Penetration from the nose had him dead to rights, two yards shy, but he would not be denied. Runs behind his pads very, very effectively. He's also got no time to waste. He ripped off a 13-yard run right before the end of the third quarter where he saw a tiny crease and just hit it. No hesitation, no surrender, thunder gun. He forced four missed tackles in the game, good for 22 yards after contact and an average of 3.67 yards after contact per rush. My final favorite tape, the last player on here is a defender, Cater Kohu. We broke down his work on the fumble, had that great rep in coverage. And first, he makes a tackle on the perimeter before that play earlier on that drive where he's covering the slot. He peeks back at the quarterback and sees the balls out. So like, having knowledge of where the quarterback is thinking while you're doing your job is like multitasking. And he comes off his guy and goes and makes the tackle. And then that deep shot that he broke up was even better on tape. Cool design as they run their clear out route first, which Jacksonville put a lot more on tape than Miami did. I'll tell you, talk about that here in a moment on the defensive side of the football. But I liked the design of this because they ran that clear out route, which gives Cater an indicator that they're going to go ahead and throw that screen but he doesn't take the bait. He stays in shape. He loses phase, but gets back into phase, then reads the hands of the receiver and just separates them right at the catch point. It's patient. It's good job playing the football. It's reading the receiver to know when the ball's going to arrive. Just textbook man coverage. We've praised his work in zone all summer. Day at the office for Cater Kohu, man. One of my favorite players in the damn league. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back and finish up the offensive notes, also the defensive notes, and then my words for the great Jason Jenkins. All that's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. More notes on the offensive side from the Dolphins' 31-18 loss to Jacksonville. Okay, we're going to talk about the offensive line in the running game, the one that finished third this preseason, the one that finished with 50 yards more than the average team this preseason, and how I thought they were good. I think those numbers back that up pretty well, but I could be wrong. Maybe I am just... Uh, shilling for the team here. I don't know. But I thought the surge of the offensive line was consistently very good. And I didn't really realize this watching the broadcast, but man, it just consistently put guys on their back feet, on their heels, and created space for the running backs. Not the running backs didn't have the best game to find those creases, but they were there. And Kendall Lamb and Isaiah Wynn haven't made a habit of losing one-on-ones this entire August. I think those are really Really valuable under-the-radar free agent signings the last two years. You know, Wynn started at left guard the last two games, and I see no reason for that to change. And then with Lamb, go look at the rest of the NFL rosters and tell me how many really quality swing tackles there are. What a value he looks to be in year number nine for him. And the icing on top of all that is the way it marries up with the play-action game for how this offense runs. And, you know, going back to the... the uh, 
the big play from two to Tyreek and, and all the play action and all the surge this offensive line gets. Tua operated essentially from play action in this game exclusively, and the flow of the defense made life so much easier on him. His ball handling adds another layer of how this team gets teams thinking one way and then pulling out the proverbial rug on them on the back end. After the completion to Chosen, go look at the next handful of plays. Push, push, push. Gives you that room service first down on the fourth and one conversion to Alec. Even the runs down in low red zone. We were just one assignment away from popping both of those runs for touchdowns, in my opinion. And it starts with Connor Williams, who after the bad snap, goes out and hits a block from the far hash to the opposite numbers and five yards down the field. He carries this block five more yards and nearly to the perimeter, almost like Michael Orr in the blind side uh, and Sandy Bullock getting fired up on the sidelines for him taking a guy all the way into the high school stands over there. Just really good game. Throws him to the ground for a pancake a couple of plays later. Let's let's just do all the offensive linemen here for pro football focus because the numbers back up what I'm saying. They were very good. Allowed five pressures all night, and Cedric Abwehi and Keon Smith had two apiece of those. So four of those are guys that we'll see if they're here in a couple of days. And then one for Robert Hunt, the second interception. And Rob had a rough night in pass protection. Uh, just really the the awareness wasn't there that we'll talk about the pick here in a second thought he made some poor reads um and just let guys into his frame a little bit too much but in the run blocking game he was phenomenal his work is just up there with the best guards in football for my money both rob and win finished out the first half and continued to put a clinic on in that running game he carried a two technique on a run moving left where he rode the wave a couple of gaps and then put him on his butt just a menacing presence in the running game again back to win and lamb really good nights i thought kendall lost a block on the second down run before the Sanders field goal but one lost rep is pretty good he did allow a pressure or not a pressure but you know he got beat on a pass rush earlier in the game but he has some of the most patient hands I've seen from a Dolphins tackle not named Teron Armstead and Wynn is so strong with the grip strength and has the sweet feet to match he looks every bit of a first round talent to me he latches onto guys and when they try to change course he beats them to the spot with his lower half and then slows them down with the upper strength like I, he looks like a guard to me where he was in college they kick him out the tackle as a pro didn't work I think we might have found our left guard here I think he found your swing tackle in Kendall Lamb too I Come at me if you want, but we'll see how the season plays out this year. I'm pretty confident in my take there. He did blow protection on the timing from Skylar there uh, to River at the end of the half, but chased the looper inside with the blitz behind him, which that's going to happen time to time, but good night overall. Skylar Thompson, the play before the first INT is where I just get so damn annoyed. It's a perfect snap shot of play action, but he waits, double clutches, and waits until he sees it open before he throws the football, and that never, ever works. Luckily, Chosen... Uh, didn't get blasted there because they, they kind of pulled up, but he was a that's a hospital ball. The first pick was an out-and-out out miss, just like the way Cedric Wilson peeled back to go back into broken scramble play mode and give his quarterback an option. I thought he was open earlier than the throw was, and then the throw was just high on Skylar, took off on him, a bad pick. The second interception, though, I thought was thoroughly explained by Coach McDaniel. You know, I, I think a uh, another caveat to that story that, you know, made me happy about the way he responded was the the second interception was something that uh pretty much uh I don't put on him at all there was a a protection misassignment so in those situations um you know I'm I'm most worried about uh, a quarterback recognizing um people that aren't accounted for in a protection when they aren't accounted for um, you have to make split second decisions. And, uh, you know, when, when he let the ball go, he didn't see that defender. Um, that, that's something that, um, if I, if I have a quarterback chasing ghosts on jobs that we were expecting to be done by other players, then they're going to be very ineffective. So I was very worried about him 
naturally um, that snowballing and affecting his play. And, and what I was able to talk to him about was, Hey, listen, um, he immediately came to sidelines. It was like, yeah, I didn't see that guy. Uh, we, we busted the protection. I was like, perfect. Okay. So if that's the case, um, should that, that play, that last specific play, um, factor into anything, um, as far as the, the next drive, the next play, the next assignment, read footwork and decision said no. So, um, he, to me that, that shows mental fortitude, um, at, at a high degree, he went out and, um, responded and, 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 and made some good plays. Um, we need to minimize, um, turnovers on offense, uh, always with the turnover differential being the number one indicator of wins and losses. Um, but that goes, that that's with everyone. And sometimes it's not as simple as, uh, the quarterback through an interception, um, that the, the second, the second play or the second interception for sure. Um, I, I don't really give, um, I don't put on him and I was glad that he didn't put it on himself. So you heard it from coach there, but on that play, both Rob and Abwehi jumped outside for the four technique, which is the guy that lines up on right over the center of the tackle. And then the stacked linebacker behind him, behind that defender, blitzes the A-gap. And Rob was not able to get back inside to cut him off. And based on that type of information, it's totally understandable for a quarterback to assume that the will linebacker came to since the protection slide to, to pick that up. They slid for the wrong thing. They slid for the outside guy to come, not the interior pressure, that B-gap linebacker. And that's completely on Rob Hunt, in my opinion. Coach talked about the protection bust. That's what it was. We've seen that a couple times, but not too frequently. I actually think the way the passing off has been executed has been really good. You saw it throughout the night, whether it was Connor and Rob, Rob and Feeney, Isaiah and either center. They seem to have a good feel for what's coming before it arrives, which just tracks with the second year progress we've talked about with Coach and myself and Frank Smith and all these guys, right? He also came back with some really good throws to Craycraft to the to drive the field on the ensuing series after that second pick. Good timing taking with the Jags offer with their off coverage, akin to what we talked about for the Dolphins offense with or with Tua. The throw on second and 10 with a minute to play in the half was the best I've seen Skylar make. Well before Craycraft comes out of the break, pressure in his face, anticipates it, and locates it. Pro Football Focus had him 4-for-6 against the Blitz with 45 yards and a pick, 3-for-5 under pressure with 22 yards and a pick. I like Braxton Berrios. I like the way he doesn't run into traffic. Like We talked about Cedric understanding feel for soft spots. He is very, very good at that. The catch he had, a zone defender buzzed the flat and got right into the way of his route, but he adjusted and stayed on the stem for a good chunk gain. Good timing on that throw from Skylar, too. Something clicked for Skylar timing-wise in the second half. It was a lot better. I thought Feeney had a really, really good night, both center and left guard. He found extra work, passed off and pass pro, caught some bodies, no pressures allowed, had a really nice snatch and trap rep on the third quarter. I thought Lester Cotton quietly had a very good night in the best way possible, possible just handled his business. And I wrote this down before the second Brooks touchdown. And of course, on that play, he pulls play side and whacks the linebacker out of the gap. So it goes from a good night to a great one. I mentioned Abwehi and Keon Smith. I thought they both really struggled in this game. I love Miles Gaskin's third down skills, both as a pass catcher and then pass pro. And then Julian Hill, been a really nice development to watch how he's gotten a feel as a blocker from those wide positions. Tanner Connor too, man. He stood out to me in this game. Even had some really good lead blocks from a fullback alignment. I talk all the time about Alec Ingold's role opening up so many things on offense. If we lose him, I kind of like Tanner the most as far as his athletic ability to keep some of that open. Not all. 
but some of it. I would put Tanner on the 53-man roster if it was me. Ezukama had a really nice whip route where he got open, but the ball was on his back shoulder, and he had to go back into the contact. Otherwise, I think he might have had a big play. He ran a route later with a head fake while he was engaged with the contact window and the five-yard window, and the DB reacted the way we see Tyreek get reactions from guys where they get turned all the way around. Just infinitely intrigued by EE's smoothness. I think we're kind of sitting on something there that we haven't seen yet. Let's conclude the offensive notes with this analysis from Coach, who was asked about the prevalence of the screen game and trying to find things to counter what defenses took away last year. I love this comment because once again, it affirms what we've been talking about for the last six months. Well, I think you're always trying to find ways to, um, you know, it comes, comes down to the, the base principle of um, uh, taking advantage of overplay. So there's different mechanisms in, in year two that you're able to kind of get to the nitty gritty um uh, details of how to execute the plays. Um, there, there's, it, it, you're, you're very correct in that, um, that did fall in the off season assessment of things that we could improve upon. And that's taken advantage of, uh, the space created, um, when, when you, when you are able to engender some explosive plays. So, um, you know, that whether those, um, show face, in uh, the regular season. But, um, you know, I think the, the more things that defenses have to think about, the, the more advantageous it is for the offense. Defensive notes are going to be quick because very first things first, we've discussed being down specific personnel in the middle of the defense in that game. No Christian, no Zach, no Deshaun Hand, whatever. But to accentuate the run game performance of the Jags on the night, the entire first part of the game was our nickel defense against 12 personnel packages. That's not personnel matching. You're not calling guys onto the field to adjust what the offense is doing. And just to be baseline clear, you will never, ever, 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 ever see that in a regular season NFL game. You won't. To extend that, Miami played with a front that had two three techniques and two nine techniques. Three techniques play off the outside shoulder of either guard, and nines play outside the tight end or where the tight end would be if you had one to that side of the formation. If you have your game on DVR or Game Pass or wherever, go watch the Jags' third play of the game. It's a seven-yard run from Travis Etienne, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Because of alignment pre-snap, the Jags bring over split-flow action from the tight end to wall off JP, which is a pretty easy block to hit. And then you get two down blocks on Brandon Peely in that three technique. And this gives you a river to run through. If David Long was not an awesome football player, that play might still be running uh, down here, you know, down the coast of Jupiter. A one-on-one chance for Deshaun Elliott is there in space, about 15 yards down the field. But if he can't make that tackle, it's out the gate. But both the tackle and guard are able to seal Peely. It's it, like there's no way Peely can get over the top of that block. And I've been critical of Peely because I think he's been on the ground too much and had a very rough preseason. But it was pretty simple for ETN to find that gap. That's why I like to watch the tape. I never agree that preseason means nothing. That to me is like the shortcut that people use and they don't want to do the work themselves of just dismissing a college prospect against whatever the lower level school is because, well, he did it against a bad school. You can still find stuff within that context. I'm just trying to provide context for you guys to understand that this is not a game where you're scheming up a play to stop the Jaguars attack. Just like training camp, you've got what you want to work on. Apparently Jacksonville wanted to work on their 12 personnel offensively. And as a result, you're just outmanned the entire game. Then in the passing game, it was tons of off coverage. We got no disguise, no post-snap rotation. This was day one install stuff from Fangio's playbook. I hope you guys understand that. Maybe you don't, but I hope you do. Look, I know the popular thing when I try to do this is for some of y'all to say that I work for the team and sunshine and rainbows and 
clearly it bothers me. I've been talking about it all day, but whatever. Just, just understand the game and how it works if you're going to have that statement because if you did, you'd understand how this all comes together. It's, it's a nonsense statement, and that's all. So with that, let's talk about some individuals and do that expeditiously. Uh, Raekwon made some big strides with his hands this year, man. There's a play where he was able to kind of reposition himself in a way that I didn't think he could do last year to disengage better than he has in the past. Been making good progress there. So impressed by Bradley Chubb. Had the pressure hit on a free run on Lawrence, but that's, that's you know, anyone can do that. But he made a play on second and one, a running play on that Jags first drive where he's in that nine alignment. And his nearest help inside is Raekwon as the three technique. This means there are two blockers to deal with and three gaps for Chubb. That's Three gaps is not what anybody ever wants to do, but he has to be concerned with all three of these gaps. And he beats the tackle inside with a quick crossover step and cuts down ETN. It's a hell of a play and something we've seen all camp long where he's getting to his fit before the offensive line can react and chopping down run plays before they start. I thought Long and Baker were very impressed in this game uh, by their limited action, but both played super fast, stayed tight to blocks to be able to scrape and make plays, and made some critical tackles where the converse of them making that play is a huge run at the backside, and the forced fumble of Holland was a great play by Baker, too. I've made no secrets about how I feel that Jalen Phillips will fare this year. I think he's going to challenge for Defensive Player of the Year, and this holding call is one of the reasons. You see him start his rush upfield, and the right tackle jumps way out and oversets. Overset is when you open up your inside post and the moment that JP changes course he recognizes this once he sees the right tackle open up he changes inside crosses face and dips that inside shoulder and once you get that inside shoulder on the upfield arm of the tackle it's like a receiver getting past a jam once you do that it's over he achieves that position and he has two options you can either let him go kill your quarterback or hold and he chose the latter wisely uh, Noah Ibnogany thought he played that deep shot to really very well just didn't get his head back get your damn head back man stayed in phase didn't think it was a catch tough break there but uh, it's been kind of the story of his career so far Deshaun Elliott just love how active he is he flies to the football he was good in coverage and had a really good PBU challenging a slot step for step was very fluid out of the back pedal just love watching him run the alley in the running game too that rat in the hole role is a good fit for him uh, Cam Smith, not much to break down. He just saw a pick six in the double move, and it wound up being six the other way. I love the bounce back PBU, though. The wide receiver tried to push off at him at the sticks, but he absorbed the contact, stayed in the hip pocket, and got his hands in there for that breakup. And then Jamal Woods, the first play that he played, which I'm sure he was going to get the entire fourth quarter, but we didn't finish the game, obviously. But he absorbs a double team. There's trash around his feet. He stays up and then goes and makes the play. He's going to be on this football team. And then three things that stood out negatively. It's just a rough day for, for Peely. I mentioned Bronson and Twyman. I thought all those guys kind of had rough days against the run, but they were put in bad spots. But Peely on the ground, getting rid multiple gaps, just not a good night for him. I thought Duke Riley overran several plays, not in good shape there. I thought Gink got lost in coverage a couple times as well. So that's it. That's the last of your notes. I want to finish up with this statement from Coach McDaniel on the great Jason Jenkins, who we are celebrating today. And then I'll go ahead and tell you guys a story and try to not cry. I'd like to start today recognizing uh august 27th and what it means to uh the miami dolphins it was a year ago today that um we lost a uh such a valuable member that um you know that it, it, i i think the the people that jason um touched in this organization in the community um you know, it, it's so visceral and real that uh, it, it would it would be uh, I'd be shortchanging, um, you know, the reality of a lot of people in this building and a lot of people um, in, in uh, 
really across America that that lost someone someone so dear to them. So uh, you know our prayers and uh, you know with, with the family that they 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 continue to um, progress and uh, while mourning and um, you know it's a, it's a it's a day that's not lost on anyone Miami Dolphin or uh, uh, all the other people who's touched the National Football League and across the country. I feel like I'm one of those people, one of the main ones, really. I think of myself directly as one of the oh, main people that Jason struck up a relationship with and really fast-tracked in a short amount of time a relationship and really became one of the most important people in my entire life. Didn't really have a father figure as a child. My dad was out of the picture pretty early on. And boy, when I was greeted by the warmth, the compassion, and nurturing nature of Jason Jenkins, gosh, I, I latched onto it. And my main goal here was to make him proud. Like nothing, nothing was better than when he would call me into his office for our annual year look back. And look, this is going to sound like self-promotion, but it's not the point of the story. Drive Time does very well in, across in-house NFL podcasts. And the two times that he called me in for my year review to tell me the, NFL, the Drive Time podcast was number one in the NFL, I mean, the pride that I would feel from that. And I know I've told you guys countless Jason stories on here, but here's one for you guys that I think really sets the tone for just how he was. Uh, when I first interviewed for the job, and I used air quotes there because Jason had already had his sights set and was really just meeting with me to tell me the good news, but I thought it was an interview, so I dressed up, I was nervous, I was on my best behavior, and the whole time we ate, the conversation wasn't really about the job or podcasts or football. It was about our families, our careers to date, our childhoods, that was where our bond was developed forever, I think, was that, that breakfast at Delhi Tower in Davie. We both discovered that day our shared love of baseball. And you guys know what he called the Mariners the palate cleansers. They would always go to Houston and, and get s just smoked by the Astros. And I would find any trash can I could around the building to celebrate his Astros championships. You know, bang, bang, Jason. But come to find out, we were both just baseball nerds. We collected the same figurines as kids. <laughs> Uh, the headliner figurines. I told him about my backyard wiffle ball league and showed him the famous photos of the backyard back in Kennewick, Washington. At the end of that breakfast, he just said, so you ready to do this or what? Gosh, what a moment that was. A smile on his face. Like he knew he just made my dream come true. And he did. It was, I have Jason to thank for all that. Whew. So I got through that. I'm glad I pre-wrote that because I don't think I would have gotten through it if I just winged it. But uh, I guess, you know, rest in peace, boss man. We miss you so much. Let's get out of here. Subscribe, rate, review, follow, fish tank, all that stuff. YouTube channel, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron. Daddy's coming home.